Hi, I'm Maria. I'm Shadio. And I'm Amber. We're from Jerusalem. We're the producers of the Women Behind the Wall podcast. This podcast features stories of how the political seeps into the private lives of people in Israel and Palestine, and how women experience the conflict. These narratives give you a glimpse into the lives of women with deep hopes and aspirations. Most of the women interviewed live in the West Bank. They're women behind the wall. We hope you stay a bit, listen to their stories, and hear the messages they hope you'll hear. Today on Women Behind the Wall, we hear from Shirin, a Palestinian with Israeli citizenship from the Galilee. She shares how she met her husband, a Palestinian with Palestinian citizenship from Palestine. Although they grew up just a few hours from each other, their journey together forced Shirin to cross political and cultural boundaries. My wedding day was very different. Like in the Palestinian culture, we have this um, tradition that the family of the groom has to visit the family of the bride on the wedding day in order to take the bride with them. Like, because like she now she has to get out of her parents' house. She has to be with uh, like a new family, new everything. And um, and I knew some friends that Israelis that got married to Palestinians from the West Bank. And my husband's family were like, like uh, my mother-in-law is, it's not easy for her to travel for a long, long time. She has problem with her knees. But she said, I would do it because of your mother, like that she wants me to, to be there. So they did all the effort to do it. And they were late for two or three hours. But that not because of the checkpoint. <laughs> That's because of the Palestinian culture that we have always to be late. <laughs> we can't be on time, you know. So I was ready. Like I went to the hairdresser at six in the morning. And I was waiting for them. And they came, like they were supposed to come around 11, they came around one. And so everybody was coming to our house, like many people were coming to our house because they couldn't travel with us to Bethlehem to be in the wedding. Just only the close family, the close relatives traveled with us. People were coming, waiting for the family of the groom to, to come. Nobody's coming. <laughs> they were late. <laughs> Because like the night before, they, they were up all night and they thought that he's the groom, so he's going to sleep the whole day. But they didn't know that he's supposed to wake up early to welcome the people who will come with his parents, you know. It was a crazy day, like I knew they were late. I just turned off my phone. I didn't want to hear anything about it. Like I knew they were coming, you know, but they were late. Fine. So it was like a long party at my parents' house, like we were dancing and music and so on. And actually, I think it was a good time to like say goodbye. But the problem was that the church here closes at like... In the winter, the times of the church are different and they close earlier because it gets dark more early. So the wedding was maybe at five and they close at six or something like this. Like, I don't remember the times, but we reached very late and they did the ceremony also very fast because <laughs> they want to finish before it gets dark. So I was alone and all the priests were coming to me, they're telling me, they are very late, they are late, where is she, where are they? <laughs> they was like, I had to deal with this by myself, nobody was... 
helping me with this. Yeah. And all the people who were invited to the wedding in the church were waiting for maybe more than one hour, maybe two hours for the bride to, <laughs> to come. Yeah. So it was a very funny day. Like it's two hours to, to reach, uh, to reach to, to my family's place and two hours to come back to Bethlehem. So it's a lot of traveling to do it. Uh, but my family didn't give up about this uh, tradition. So, yeah, now it's like nice memories. <laughs> it's funny. Shireen shares how she met her husband. Actually, the first year was just hesitating between yes and no. Like if we are just friends or just we want something else. And uh, then after a year, we met again in another conference, Christian one, and uh, and then we start started like taking things more serious. We started really going out and yeah, and trying to see if we can be with each other, like what do we like about each other, and uh, and also the way of thinking, faith, like many things in life if we agree like most of the things that I was looking for and he was looking for we could find in each other Palestinians in the West Bank cannot travel into Israel without receiving a permit or permission from Israel's civil administration while Palestinians in Israel can travel into the West Bank Shireen explains how she and her husband dealt with this while dating he worked in a foreign organization so he had the permit get out of the West Bank so we could meet in different places in Israel. It wasn't easy for him to come to meet me. So sometimes I would come to meet him yeah, in the West Bank to make it more easy for him. Because he can't go with his car, he has to take the bus. And maybe he has to take more than one bus. So it would be like also a long time and also a difficult trip to like leave for many hours. I could come with my car, it's easier for both of us actually. It wasn't a long time. <laughs> like, I knew him for a year, but I didn't, like, it wasn't, go we weren't going out or something. We were just talking on Facebook. And then I told my mom that we went out once or something. And then she got a panic attack, you know, <laughs> she panicked. <laughs> that you should tell me everything. You should have told me about him before and stuff like this. You know how moms are. <laughs> So she, it wasn't easy for her, and not for my father also, but it was like kind of difficult, yeah. Friends mm. at the beginning, they were like, no, like, they didn't really tell me don't do it, but they told me, oh, he's from the West Bank and stuff like this. But then when they got to know him, they were like, they liked him also. Shireen explains why her parents panicked and some of her friends were not so thrilled about her dating a Palestinian from the West Bank. So it wasn't easy even to convince my parents that I was going out with someone from the West Bank. They don't know a lot about the West Bank. We don't have relatives here. They don't know how people live. They don't know anything. So they were scared for me, like, and for my children, will they get Israeli ID or Palestinian ID? It's complicated, citizenship, all this stuff. By time when they get to know him more and they like got to know the situation differently, they came here, they saw like 
Bethlehem, people from here, they got to know his family. So it, like, it changed their view, it changed by time. And they accepted the things. The first thing I liked uh, is like, uh, he was working with people who are handicapped, with different uh, disabilities. Uh, so I think a person who is interested in things of community is a deep person. And if, like I thought that he's very, he's a loving person because he loves disabled people. So he, of course he's going to love his family, like his children, his wife, like that's what's attracted me first. It was a challenge for me, but at the same time I was like, um, it, it happens for a reason, like that God was part of this and he was part of us meeting each other and knowing each other. It's not a coincidence. So that was like something that led me very strongly and I was sure that like he's the one for me, you know, with all the difficult things and everything. And he was also like with the same view. So that always gave me the energy or courage to continue and to go on with this. The politics of who she fell in love with plays a role in Palestinian culture. Shireen explains what her culture expects from her when dating a Palestinian from the West Bank and points out how different it is from dating in a Western culture. Actually, family has to be involved somehow <laughs> when you're dating. Like, there have to be some like formal things that you have to do. Like, he has to come to my parents so they get to know him. They have to come to visit his family and get to know them. And then the families have to visit each other. Like, we could go out by ourselves, but most of the things would be around family, like birthdays or whatever, like all the occasions, so you have to be there. It's, it's nice to be with family, but it's also like you, you don't have your own space. We talked for a long time on the phone and we like texted and everything, but it's not the same when you meet, so... The times we could meet like alone, it was very, even if we plan something, it doesn't always work because maybe something in the family happens and we have to be there or like I remember once when we were engaged, there was this occasion and he wanted to come to visit me and then something happened with his nephew and he had to go to the hospital with him and he couldn't be. So it's always a lot around family in our culture. So yeah, and until now. We are also living beside his family, so it's also part of our life. Like how much space we have or how much space we don't really have. Every couple, for every couple is different, but because we were planning to get married uh, the next summer, so we did everything very, very fast. Like we, he gave me this ring on January and then we got engaged. Like we got engaged only because that's what's accepted in the culture. We got engaged in July and got married on September, so it's like all very close to each other. I expected it will be very difficult for me, but when I moved here, it was very easy for me to adjust actually, yes. Because I started work and I liked my work. I like the area where we live, it's very quiet, so I like it. We live by his family and this family is really nice to us. Like, we have good relations with each other. So my life seemed very nice 
Whereas, of course, the difficulties of the first year of marriage, like getting to know each other, living with each other, but that happens with every couple. So, in general, I, I didn't expect to adjust that quickly, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was one of the, my biggest fears was sharing with him when we were engaged. And he was like, he's a very positive person, and I'm not really that positive all the time. <laughs> so, he's like, no, it's fine, it's going to be okay, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah, so, so it was fine. Like now after a few years when we are married, I see things differently. Like I'm adjusted, but there are some things that I also don't really like. Not really about West Bank or not West Bank, but some things in personal life or the... Like it doesn't have to do really with the area I live in, you know? Like it could happen anywhere. After the 1948 war, what Israel calls its War of Independence and what Palestinians call the Nakba, or catastrophe. Some Palestinians remained in their towns and villages inside the newly established state of Israel. Before the 1967 war, Israel gave this particular group of Palestinian Israeli citizenship, and the state officially referred to them as Israeli Arabs. However, many of them reject this term and refer to themselves as Palestinian Israelis or Palestinians of 48, among many other terms. Today, there are about 2 million Palestinians in Israel who hold Israeli citizenship. Some of them are Christian, and the vast majority are Muslim. Shireen belongs to this minority Christian community in Israel. Due to their ethnic belonging to the Palestinian people on one side, and their citizenship to the Israeli state on the other, many Palestinians in Israel go through a journey of self-exploration with regard to their own identity and how they self-identify. Shireen shares how she self-identifies. I think it depends uh, in which group I'm in, you know? Like if Israelis ask me, how do you define yourself? I would say that I'm a Palestinian Christian. If Palestinians ask me, I would say I'm Christian. You know, it's like different. But I'm also Israeli. Like I grew up in Israel, I studied in Israeli universities. I know Hebrew very well. I um, study in the university in Hebrew. I wrote all my papers in Hebrew. At the university, I was very exposed to the Israeli society. Like, I wasn't exposed before that because I lived in a Palestinian city before. Although it was in Israel, but I didn't have, like, Jewish friends. So then I started questioning my identity more. Like, okay, so I'm Palestinian, I'm Israeli. Like, what's... I remember this time in the university, it was very, like, uh, confusing for me. Like, my mentality is not purely Palestinian, you know? Like, I was exposed to different people, also to foreign students, like, also in terms of meeting with the other, like, the Jewish or Israelis. Like, for me, I think it's uh, good, it's important, it's, it's part of my life. And many people who grew up only in Palestine, they think, no, meeting Jews, it's like, uh, it's a sin, you know? It's, uh, <laughs> But always for me, the Christian thing was clear, like that I'm a Christian. Living in the West Bank has changed the way Shireen experiences the conflict. I think that people who don't live here, they don't know what's going on here. Even if you hear about it, you don't know what's settlement, like you don't, you have no idea what is it until you live here. And then you see how close 
the settlement is close, very close to Palestinian cities or villages, and how people who live in the settlement are usually very extreme. That's what I think, and their political views. So that's why they go live in the settlement. Some of them don't find a cheap house in Jerusalem, so they decide they want a cheap place, so they go to the settlement. It's very disappointing, actually, to live here because you see the reality of things. And when you are far away, you think that there's a solution, like they might find a solution. But when you live here, you see that it's like too complicated. And by time, you just feel more disappointed about what's going on and settlements are growing. So what about the Palestinian land? It's getting less and less and less. And if there will be a Palestinian country, then what will they do about all the settlements? Will they accept to leave the settlements and go live in Israel? Or is it all going to be just one country and that's it? Like with the West Bank and everything, is it going to be just one country called Israel? Or Like my father-in-law tells me that when he was maybe 15 or 16, Israel invaded here and many things were changing. And he told me, I had hope that it will be solved in like two or three years and like we will have our own country and that's it. But uh, he, he said that his father told him, even at the time of your grandchildren, the problem won't be solved. And he says, you see, now I have grandchildren and there's still, uh, there's still a conflict. It's still going on, it's not uh, solved. So I'm not very hopeful about this, this issue. For Shireen and her family, the decision to live in the West Bank has its challenges. However, it outweighs the challenges of living in Israel, economically, culturally, and psychologically. There are many challenges, like one of them, that even when we go together to Israel, my husband can't drive, so I have to drive all the time. And we have kids, so it's more difficult with the kids because I'm more tired, usually. And it's not easy for me to drive all the time if we are going to Israel and coming back. Uh, that's a big challenge for, for us. And another challenge was uh, about the kids' schools, like where are they going to study? Where are they going to learn? Is it an Israeli school or a Palestinian school? So until now we chose Palestinian school because it's close to his family, it's close to where we live. It's easier. Like, if anything happens, then anybody can just go pick them up if they're sick, if they need somebody around. Because if we go to Israel, we don't have anybody around. Like, it's not that easy. But it's a concern for us. Like, when my kids will turn 16, they have to get the Israeli ID. But then they will start questioning a lot of things, like, why are they in Palestinian school, not Israeli school? It's I'm afraid of it when it comes, but then I'm like, maybe it will work anyway. Like, I, I don't know what's, what's going to happen in like 10 plus years, <laughs> I don't know. There's also another thing we didn't talk about. It's about traveling. Like, we can never travel from the same place because if we want to travel th from Tel Aviv, then he has to get a permit and it's not something that he will get for sure. Like, he has to apply for it and maybe he will get it, maybe he won't and we will have to have the tickets so what will we do with the tickets if he doesn't get it then we have to 
uh, transform it and get a ticket from Amman, like from Jordan. So then we will both have to travel separately. So that's what we can do. Or we can both travel from Jordan. But even if we do it, we can never go through the same border crossing. Like he has to go from one border crossing and I have to go from another border crossing. And it's um, difficult because now we have children. So I have to be traveling by myself with the children. How am I going to do? This year we decided not to travel because our son is very, very still very young. But even if we decide to do it next year, then think how it's going to be. It's more comfortable for us in the West Bank, actually. I work actually with both. Like I get the uh, supervision from Israelis and I work with Palestinians. So it's also very complicated. But I think that at some point when my kids are older, then I will have to face it. Like they will have, they will start questioning about so many things. Like why my father can drive here, why this, why that, about the checkpoints. When we cross the checkpoint, they will ask what's this? Like what's the checkpoint? So I will have to answer some of these questions somehow. And we thought about even putting our daughter in a mixed school in Israel, like for Arabs and Jews together, but it didn't work for practical issues because then I will be the only one responsible for her actually to just put her in the school and we get her back. And like, I don't have any help in Israel. So it will be very, very difficult for me to do this. And at the end, we decided that we don't want her to grow up in a society that she's not living in. Like, she's not living in a mixed society, so why to put all this, like, big charge on her? She's very small, she's still discovering her own identity, like, what's Christian, what's church, what's everything. And then to put on her many things, Jews and Muslims and everybody all together, it's also a big mixture and uh, for her, especially because we are not living inside it. So I think at some point of her life, she will be exposed more to Israeli society, especially when she's older and we, when we go to Israel to visit my parents or my family. So that's the questions that we ask ourselves and we still don't have, like our kids are still small and they don't ask about these things yet, but they will probably. For many reasons, like one of them economically, it's like we have a house of our own. If we want to go rent in Israel, it will cost us a lot of money. And many things there are more expensive. Even schools are more expensive. And we like it here. Like it's a quiet place. It's, it's more Palestinian with the goods and the bads of, <laughs> of being a Palestinian society. It's where I want my kids to grow up also. Like. There's a lot of good values in the Palestinian society that in the Israeli society we are just missing out. Like people are not respecting the old people, they're not respecting their families, they don't give enough time for their families. The Palestinian society is usually a collective society, it's like more about not the individual but about the community. And We have a choice, but it's a difficult choice. Like, it's a choice that's going to cost us a lot of, not only money, but a lot of 
like energy like psychologically like it's a lot of like fear all the time is he going to get is he going to get an id is he not going to get the id what's going to happen with the children and like we will be in this like circle all the time like many people are living in this circle so i don't want to to be there so, like as long as everything is going good for me then why will i bring it to myself you know because then we, we will open the door for the Ministry of Interior to start questioning everything about our life. Where we live, where we breathe, where we do everything. They would start questioning even my family about, you know, so many things. So I will get many people involved in my story and, and it's just a headache. So, And not a good thing is going to come out of it. Like the best thing is that he's going to get some kind of permission that's for a long time but he already has a permission so from his work so for now we, we think it's not worth it like all this headache and shireen explains why she and her husband want their children to have israeli citizenship because the health insurance is much better the israeli they both have israeli passport also because we traveled it's much better because you can go anywhere like almost everywhere you want without like thinking too much about it without having visa as shireen's husband is unable to live in israel shireen lives with him in palestine yet both shireen and her husband believe it's important for their children be born in israel so they can obtain israeli citizenship in order for the children to obtain shireen's legal status as an israeli citizen she must give birth to them in the city where she is registered in israel a few hours away from their home in palestine Shireen shares a little about what this process entails for them. Where am I going to have to deliver my baby? Like, I can't do it in the West Bank because then my kids, it will be very, very complicated for them to have Israeli ID number. And if I do it in Jerusalem, it's also very complicated because they asked so much details about the parents and if they know if somebody is from the West Bank, then they will make an issue about it. But if I do it in my city, then nobody will make an issue about it. So the first, like with my daughter, it was, I, I went two weeks before my due date and it was like fine. But with my, I, I went by myself to my family. And I was, yeah. Uh, and he came, uh, uh, he was with me in delivery actually, but um, it was also a dilemma for us. Like, is he going to be with me or not? When am I going to tell him, like, uh, when the contraction starts or before he can, maybe he can come before he has to take a few days off of his work. Like, it was also very complicated for us. But he could be with me at both deliveries. With my son, I was planning to go there a week before. Because I thought, like with my daughter, I went two weeks before and she came just on the date that was supposed to be, not before. So I was like, okay, with my son, I will go just one week before. And at the same day that I wanted to go, I started having contractions in the West Bank. I, I was very stressed. Like I wanted to just leave. We were, we were planning to leave in the afternoon, but then we had to leave, of course, early in the morning. My husband uh, was driving, I couldn't drive. He's not allowed to drive. 
but I couldn't drive when I was having <laughs> contractions. <laughs> so I got directly to the hospital. And yeah, my son was very in a hurry. He wanted to, <laughs> to, come out, to come out, yeah. It was a very fast delivery, not as the first one. The first one took a long, long time. This one uh, took like three hours. It was very short, but we got there really on time. Like if we got there, maybe I would have delivered him in the car, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like we said and we laugh about it, but it was very stressful for us. Like I said, I'm not going to Jerusalem, no way. So we had to drive there. The wait takes us like two hours. And with all this stress, like on the way, he's like, you know, we are crazy <laughs> for doing this. I drove through the checkpoint and then he continued. <laughs> it wasn't heavy contractions, yeah. It was still in the beginning. Shireen shares how her faith plays a role in her life and how it influences her perspective on the conflict. And many different people have different ideas about what God wants them to do. Like the settlers tell you, God wants us to live here. It's like the, uh, I don't know, the city of Abraham. We have to live here, like in Hebron. Or like God is telling many people so many different things. I don't like I. Like from a Christian perspective, Jesus said that we should love our neighbors as we love ourselves and that we should love even our enemies as we love ourselves. So that was always something that's leading me in everything I do, even in my work and anything like all the people who are different from me. Like it's always something that I think about. Okay, so I have to accept actually everybody, even the people who are different from me but I still can't accept the settlers. <laughs> but it's something that you have to work on yourself to be able to do it. It's not easy to do it. But I think that God is not pleased with what's going on and that he wants us to be peacemakers and he wants peace. Like I feel hope when I see that Palestinians and Israeli are getting to know each other. They are meeting. They are breaking these boundaries of like culture and everything and and they're really willing to talk about what's going on in their lives because so many people don't know like the, the Israelis they they also don't know what's going on like and of course if you live in a place that's far away from Jerusalem then you don't really know what's going on so that gives me hope I'm part of a group like this we meet every once in a while and we share our, our lives and I think it really helps both sides because then you feel recognized that your pain is recognized by also the other side and that's important to heal the pain and to deal with it, yeah. We asked Shireen if she has anything else she would like people outside of Palestine to understand about her life and situation. That they should know about the Palestinian life, that it's very unexpected and it can be very unplanned. <laughs> like even if you plan it, it, it can just go to waste your plan. That you are always maybe looking for a job or something that will give you a permit to go to Israel because it's not easy to get a permit all the time. Like all your life actually is governed by somebody else. Like you can't have your own 
things like if you want to go to a trip, you have to apply for a visa before two or three months. You can just book your ticket and just go to the airport and fly. Much more complicated. We asked Shireen to share about a local organization doing meaningful work in Palestine. There are many organizations, but I will talk about two of them. There is one called the GTC, which is like a Palestinian counseling center for families, for children. It offers um, like uh, therapy or counseling sessions. And I think it's doing very important work. And there's not a lot of awareness for this kind of work. So that's why it's important to support it and to keep it going. And there's another organization called Within Reach, which is an organization for handicapped people. And what I know about it, that it's about to close even because they don't have any donations. So it's also a very important place for handicapped children, for rehabilitation, for getting therapies. If you would like to donate to these organizations or learn more about them, you can find links to them on our website. Thank you for listening to Shireen's story. If you'd like to learn more about the issues raised in this episode, hear more stories, or connect with us, you can do so through our website at womenbehindthewall.com. If you like what you heard, please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes, share this episode, or drop us a note. Until next time! <laughs>